Welcome to The Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiyumi. Hello and welcome. This is Babatope Ipiyumi from The Change Lead. And welcome to another episode of the Change Lead podcast. My guest today is an executive coach, author, and facilitator. She works with leaders who want to excel at developing their people and at creating strong, inclusive cultures in which they and those they lead can do their very best work. My guest today is Corina Chase. Corina, along with a team from GM Reed Group, recently wrote the book, the five lost superpowers, why we lose them, and how to get them back. Today, Corina and I will have a conversation about the five lost superpowers. Hi, Corina. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Me too. Perfect. Um, so today we'll be talking about your, your recent book, The, the Five Lost Superpowers, yeah. Why We Lose Them, and How We Get Them Back. Um, so uh, first of all, I have to start by saying a big thank you for actually writing the book. It was one of the first books I listened to at the beginning of the year. Um, I found it very enlightening. I found it fun to listen to, and it was really straight to the point. So very good and thank you for, for putting it out there um so good to start with a bit of the backstory of the book really so i know you are one of four authors who put the book together mm-hmm. um so good to know you know how did the team come together uh what was the dynamics like writing you know four authors working together on a single book can you just tell us a little bit about that please yeah sure i know i think a lot of people are kind of curious about about that Dynamic. Um, so we all um, we all work for JM Reed Group, um, which John Reed uh, started, who's one of the authors, um, and then uh, Andrew Reed uh, and Lene Steinhagen and myself um, are the authors. And we so we've all we all worked together already um, doing training and facilitation. Um, so we had a trust and knew each other and knew each other's work. Um, and the ideas that are in the book are ideas that we had, we had some training, you know, that, that covered some of the, especially curiosity is something um, that John was really interested in and that we incorporated into quite a bit of our training. Um, so we were all speaking some of this language already and we worked together for several years and we also all wrote, you know, various blogs and things like that. So when John pulled us together to write this book, he knew we could write, he knew he trusted our ideas. We already had a way of working together, you know, when we would be designing and delivering content um, where we could um, bat ideas around and challenge each other's thinking and come to decisions that, that that was all sort of in place already. Okay. Um, which so we kind of just transitioned those relationships and those dynamics into this mode. And that's what we did. We batted ideas around and argued with each other and 
you know, nobody held on too tightly to any anything. Um, we kind of knew when to, you know, let things go. And, and of course, we each kind of owned a chapter primarily and let that person have have the final say on it, on anything having to do with that chapter. Nice, nice. So it just shows like the power of co-creation that you started from creating the content of the courses that you were running. There was co-creation there, the book. Um, I think what, what you I think there's a proverb that comes to mind. You've probably heard of it. If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. So it's almost a case of by working together, you've really, you've really done well there. So if we if we dig into the book a little bit, so we the five lost superpowers. So First of all, what are these five lost superpowers that we're talking about here? So the, the five that we landed on are uh, curiosity, resilience, authenticity, compassion, and playfulness. Okay. So our thinking when we were deciding what, the, what we felt the five were, were that we'd all experienced these things in ourselves as young people and in the children that we spend time with. Um, so we see them at a certain, you know, very early developmental stage, and then also to some extent lose them or that they get diminished or really, really dinged up, <laughs> right, over the course of living life. Um, and that there's great power um, in all of them, both for ourselves and for each other in the world. Um, and what would it mean? To, to identify these and then talk about kind of why they go away. And, and, and of course, we don't mean that they disappear, um, but they, again, they get, they get diminished and beaten up. Um, and, and then what would it be to intentionally think about um, getting them back or developing a real kind yeah. of relationship with them? Okay, I like that. So we've got curiosity, resilience, authenticity, compassion, and playfulness. And I know you mentioned that with the four authors, each of you had a chapter. So we're good to know, what was your chapter? My chapter was authenticity. Okay. So how, how, do, you, how do you get to become an authenticity specialist? So what? That's <laughs> <laughs> um, funny. I've never thought of that as one of my titles, but I might have to add that. <laughs> um, you know, well, there's certainly my own personal journey with authenticity that made me very attracted to and excited about doing the chapter, but um, I'm also as an executive coach where I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so much of that work is about working with people so that they can show up to situations in ways that feel natural and good to them, but where they can maybe be a little bit more effective or efficient than they are currently, which means they're playing around with how do, I, how do I flex my behaviors or do things a little bit differently so that I can get more of what I want or be more effective or build better relationships? And how do I do that in a way where I still feel like me um, and I get to show up authentically and it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not exhausting, right, for me to go be more effective every day. So we're that's what we're talking about a lot is and that which is it's very related to emotional intelligence right which is kind of knowing yourself and then knowing the situation and the other person and what do you need to do to make the dynamic the relationship um, as effective as possible and that that requires both you being willing to show up as you are and also you being willing to modify 
maybe the some behaviors um, so that the other person can also show up as they are, right? Yeah. And be their best selves in that dynamic. Um, so it's, authenticity is a little complicated. It's right. It isn't just like, oh, I'm going to come into the situation. I'm going to be me. Right. I mean, yeah. it would be so nice if it were that, if it were that <laughs> easy, but the reality is it's, it's not. And even that part, even the part of I'm going to show up and be me is easier for some people than others. We have very you know different relationships with, with ourselves and our self-knowledge. So I think it's just, I don't think you can be an executive coach and really get in there with people uh, without talking about this. And sometimes you're talking about it even when you're not talking about it, right? You're talking about flexing behaviors or emotional intelligence or difficult conversations, but you're always, it's always, you're always circling, I think, a lot of, a lot of what it is to, to be able to be authentic in those. Yeah, in no, those. I, I, I like that. I like that. So really your experience as an as a executive coach has really brought the ability for you to focus on authenticity honing on that um, and it's, it's really good that it's grounded in, in, in experience as well um, I'm trying to recall there's an as a and you can correct me if I get this wrong there's a there's a scenario you describe in the book around and you use superheroes I think one was Clark Kent, Clark, Clark Kent and Superman same person yeah. but different personas where being authentic allowed him to also express a power beyond himself we're good to explain uh, explain that a little bit that you effectively being authentic allows you to unleash yourself so sometimes you're hiding your strengths but authenticity yeah. brings it out yeah. yeah um yeah well the idea that these superheroes that we worship have different sides of themselves like you know clark clint is the newspaper reporter and spider-man is also peter parker is kind of this i don't know maybe nerdy student and um the hulk is also bruce banner who's a researcher and a scientist and um, if they, if they, and, and those, the researcher and the student and the reporter, those are all authentic parts of who they are. Uh, and they could probably live their whole lives, right? Just sort of in that part of their identity. Um, but by reaching into a, a broader part of themselves, that's, that's maybe more brave and willing to take more risk and maybe even more compassionate, um, then they unleash this, this broader spectrum of who they are, which is more powerful for them and, and for the world. And I'm glad you brought that up because that, that is, I think, one of the misconceptions around, I think, a lot of, I think a lot of us define authenticity and our own authenticity too narrowly. I think I did that for a long time. I think that my definition of authenticity, even for me, was um, a little bit confining um, what, you know, what I perceived as authentic and not authentic. And then kind of realized, oh, there's actually, a, there's a lot more expansiveness in terms of how I can show up to situations and still feel like myself. This is still me, right? It's just me trying on some different things and playing around with the edges a little bit of, 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 how, of how I do things um, and what I like. So yeah, I think it's, I think that um, many of us are more more expansive, maybe than we realize, and have more at our disposal in terms of what we how we can authentically show up to situations. I mean, look at Superman. Who would think yeah. that, that Clark Kent yeah. <laughs> gave True. the world? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like that. A lot of us, we we just need to show up, and there's a lot more that we can we can turn up as if we tap into authenticity. So that's, yeah, that's brilliant. And I think I think it's for me that's very connected to the playfulness chapter. 
um, which really encourages, you know, we see kids and their, their imaginations and their playfulness and their willingness to, to kind of take on character and try this outcome and try that outcome. And um, I always encourage my clients to be playful with the edges of, of what they think um, you know, when they get to that place that feels really uncomfortable, not to just, you know, suddenly jump or do something different or wildly, but, but what if you did just a little bit more of that or showed up a little bit, you know, what if you did try to crack a joke in that situation, or what if you did speak up louder or whatever it is, you know, that we're talking about, just go play with it, have fun with it. And then you kind of, it's not so scary and playfulness itself just makes everything you know, it's like you take yourself less seriously, you take the situation less seriously. And that, I think that really helps a lot too. Yeah, I, I think I, totally. Cause I know when I was, the, the chapter on playfulness actually jumped out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I recall my childhood, I would consider myself to have been a very playful child. Um, however, working with pretty serious corporates on you know, high stakes pieces of work, mm-hmm. you don't, often get as I know I don't often get the opportunity to come up and shop as being playful I try once in a while I'll I'll give a very specific example actually where I was running a piece of work a program of work and there was a meeting and I I know I chuckled a few times on the call and feedback I got was why was he laughing why was he laughing what's the laughter for like this is a serious piece of work so Mm -hmm. I'm used to working with organizations like that and I'm sure I'm not alone where mm-hmm. a lot of people will be in that situation but as children they were very playful mm-hmm. they're trying to show up they're trying to be authentic and they've lost it they, they just can't find it so um it would be good to you know dig into a little bit more about how can we all reclaim that because i think that's mm-hmm. quite powerful because sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost sipping out without us trying and the forces around us are just pushing it down no this is not the time to play we're going to hit our targets we're going to hit the numbers um, mm-hmm. How do we work on that? <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, in a way, the way you articulated that's really nice. I think that's that we're thinking about that with a lot of these, you know, with authenticity, with playfulness, with curiosity. That the world is giving us a bunch of signals and signs and messages that are telling us to be smaller and do it like this. And this is how you're supposed to show up to this situation. And this is what success looks like. And this is right. So, and th- so it's exactly that it's making us kind of smaller and narrow. And we got to fit into these boxes. Um, I'm interested you know, when you, when you felt that happening in the, in those business settings, did that become sort of globalized for you? I mean, do you feel like your playfulness overall diminished because of what you had to do in those particular settings or is it just in those settings that you felt? So what, what I, for that specific case, what I noticed was I just identified the stakeholders who had that response mm-hmm. um, and I dealt with them differently. But everybody mm-hmm. else, I just realized you know, it's, it's easier to get to know people if you're ready to laugh together. Mm-hmm. It's really it's easier to know what people are thinking if you're ready to you know push the boundaries a little bit. Um, you're still being super polite, being focused, but also and 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 you get that feedback uh, at the end. As in, there's somebody that's um, worked with for several years, is moving on to something else, and the feedback when we was moving on was, oh, it was really fun to work together. Right. Mm. So this is what and and if it's fun working together, you get a lot more out of it. So mm-hmm. I think what I've done, and it's good to get your thoughts, whether it's the right approach is I've just isolated individuals and just treat individuals differently. Okay, 
you don't really like to be playful. Fine, I'll treat you differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, that's EQ, right? That's emotion. That's you saying, oh, okay, what I've learned about these individuals is that they prefer this kind of dynamic. And that means that I'm going to need to show up to the situation a little bit differently and maybe a little bit less playful. I think the harm comes when when we globalize that, right? And, and this happens for a lot of us, I think, where we have a few experiences like that. And before we know it, we're more serious in all the situations that we find ourselves in, right? And we kind of overcompensate for some of these signals that we get from our environments. And then, and then we become more serious and less playful. And, you know, our, if, if we if in terms of authenticity, we start, we kind of start to define that based on some early messages we get about how we need to show up to spaces in order to be successful or taken seriously, or, you know, sometimes to be safe. Um, and then we, we keep those, we hold on to those and, and we start showing up to all of these environments and spaces and situations based on, right. Some early feedback that might've just been about that person or that situation. So I think what you're saying is really astute, right? You, you, you learned you learned some people, um, and then you do something a little bit different for those for those people, you know. And then so then the question becomes like in a lot of my coaching situations is okay, well, are those people that you sometimes encounter, and therefore who cares, right? It's like okay, every once in a while I gotta turn this thing up or turn this thing down in myself. But if you work inside a culture every day where you're really having to do something wildly different than what's comfortable to you or what you want. Well, then, then, then it's not really maybe about you and your, maybe you're in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. No, Which, indeed, and it I'm, may be that, that problem of the culture and it may, you know, so that then you, there's a whole other conversation to, to be had. Indeed. I think that's something that a lot of cultures need to work on. Um, mm -hmm. they, we, we need to ensure we have, human-centered organizations where it's just the people that need to turn up and show up and provide value. And we need to make sure that people can actually function um, in those in those settings. Um, it would be good to dig into a little bit about your what you do as an executive coach. I think you, you mentioned that just now, um, how, how you approach it and the, the impact it has on the individuals. I think the, the reason why I'm, a, a lot of people listening, a lot of people working, don't have executive coaches. I think it's probably why it's called executive coaches. Almost focus on the executives, but for the experience, I'm sure you, people beyond the executives probably need coaching as well. So it'd be good to get your your thoughts and insights as to the value approach and how can we even make it a bit more accessible to to people coaching. Yeah. I do coach people um, at multiple levels, different levels in organizations, which I really enjoy. I would never only want to, because people are like, you got to get C-level clients. You got to, you should be only working with CEOs. And I'm like, how boring would that be? <laughs> it's so interesting to, to be working with people at multiple levels and, and you re and understand, you know, what that journey is like and what it feels like at, at, at various um, levels of an organization. Um, so I think that, you know, it, the, it's, it's, a, it's the space, right? You're creating the space where people can, can think about where they are and what's happening and kind of where they want to get to and what is the path from where they are to where they're trying to get to and what, what's working for them, what feels really good, what do they want to be doing more of, 
what isn't working? Where, where do they feel like oh, I could be, I could be a little bit more effective here, or this is really hard for me and I don't want this to be so hard, or this feeling is plagues me or my insecurity around my ability to develop the skill is plaguing me and, and get into a space where we can cre create um, some awareness and ideas and uh, tools and methodologies for kind of working through those challenges. Um, and that can be anything from somebody that feels like they don't, um, they don't have good relationship building skills, or maybe they feel like they don't um, know how to navigate their organization very effectively, or their um, people perceive them in certain ways that they know is, is not helping them, <laughs> or they're um, plagued by imposter syndrome, or uh, don't trust their speaking. It, there's, there's so many different um, things that get in people's way. Um, or things that they want that they're um, not getting, or so, or sometimes the coaching is just with leaders who are very effective. You know, a lot, a lot of high-performing leaders that are just going to move to a different level, and they've got to start thinking about, all right, what am I doing now that's not going to serve me in this next level of leadership that I need to let go of, and what do I need to be doing more of, and how do I focus more on other folks and, and get better at delegating so that I'm freed up to do this other thing, right? So you see, this is a space where you, there's so many things you can be working on. Um, and the coach is really there to just help you get really clear about what it is that you want and, and self-identify a lot of um, what you might try to do differently and then help create a path that really works for you. Um, in getting there. And it is a kind of, to me, it is a kind of playful process coaching because it's, you know, we talk and we figure out, okay, what's working great. So what do you, what do you want that to look like? All right. So how are you going to get there? What do you want to try? What can you go do differently? Um, and then they'll throw out some ideas and I'll throw out some ideas and then they'll go away and they'll play around with it and they'll try some things differently and come back and be like, well, how did that go? Well, this went great. And this went terribly. All right. Well, how can we tweak that? And how can we do more of that? So it, it, it's a very um, experimental, playful, almost even imaginative. There's lots of, well, what do you want it to be? And how could it go? And um, some reflective, like, well, when did this go well? And what could you borrow from that to do differently? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it's also, it's, you know, I, I often think of my clients in some of these organizations that are like running around this like house on fire almost, right? Or running around a maze. And this coaching space becomes a time where they can kind of like rise up out of the chaos and look down on it and be like, oh, look at that. Look at all these choices and possibilities down there that I can't see when I'm in the madness, right? And then, and then we send it back into the house on fire <laughs> and they try some things and they come back, you know? So it's, it's, it's that neat kind of um, space to do that kind of work. Does that, did nice. that answer your question? I don't even know. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I, I like the way you explain it. You, you're taking them on a journey because they, the context in which you, 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 you describe your clients, they're, they're on a journey and you're helping them on the journey. Either on the one level and they need to adjust what is it they need to either stop doing, do more of, tweak to get to the next stage of the journey. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very clear from what you're saying. It's not, um, it's, it's not a cookie cutter kind of approach. You just need to listen, understand, you know, and that's where the playfulness comes back in again, is that's yeah. the only way you can, you can figure out what's really going on. You experiment, you try different things through the, the through those conversations so i i like it and it's um it, it, it lines up with a lot of ways i think we need to approach a lot of the world as well um it's, yeah it's, it's also very of, empowering because they're you're really creating a space where they can come up with their own best answers you know where they it's 
it's you're asking questions and presenting um, possibilities or ideas or you know coming up with options together so that you know they're defining the goals they're defining what the thing they're trying to get to and ultimately they're choosing the path there and you're you're almost like a guide um, and an accountability partner and so, and you know there's a little poking and well how realistic is that and you know without that there's a lot of reflecting back some of my best coaching sessions are like they talk for 50 minutes <laughs> and then I tell them <laughs> what I heard and they're like oh my god that's really what you just said and I'm like I, I didn't say that you said that <laughs> right so people have so yeah. many great ideas and they and people know more than they realize they know as well so if you give them a space to to get it out there you can reflect back hey you know what I heard you have this answer you really have the not only do you have this answer, it sounds like you've had this answer for about 20 years, right? So <laughs> here it is right before you. It's a, it's, it's yeah. a pretty neat. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. And the concept of ownership that they own the processes and they own, and they own, they own the change itself. Um, if we, if we, so if we take the, what we've, what we discussed, the, the five lost superpowers, as well as the coaching. So these are things that create some, let's call it a individual capacity capacity within the individual they improve mm -hmm. our individual capacity but if we um how do we address things a little bit more larger scale um i'll give a bit of an analogy to make it easy to understand so you can have a team a sports team let's say there are 10 players on the team you can have 10 individual brilliant players and a mm -hmm. horrible team because, yes. <laughs> all right, and this is the same with organizations, it's the same with countries, it's the same globally, because it's not the, the individual capacity itself, sometimes is not sufficient to deal with global challenges. Um, I use an example of a global challenge that's coming up now is the challenge we have with supply chains. Um, mm -hmm. Supply chains have become so interconnected. We, we're now demanding a higher level of transparency of our supply chains. Um, we're seeing dislocation in supply chains. So uh, these are global challenges where, it's, and I don't think it's easy to get an answer, but it'd be good to just start a conversation of, all right, how do we use the five lost superpowers? How do we use the insights you've learned, playfulness and with executive coaching to begin to address these kind of challenges that are a lot more intricate, a lot more complex, a lot more global so even though you've got the individual capacity like the the, the team analogy mm -hmm. it's not just the individual that needs to be good you need a team that's cohesive and works together mm -hmm. um, yeah I'm, I'm kind of as you're talking I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about the story that john tells in the beginning of the book you know watching his uh, grandkids play in the playground and um they're playing a game of dinosaurs and dragons um and I mean, the one thing for the, as the, as the problem gets more complex, one thing we need to keep track of is like, are we all playing the same game? <laughs> right. Because it all, it all falls apart. If we're not, we have to agree to um, some basic premises of right. If this, cause if this kid's playing dinosaurs and dragons, but that kid's playing, you know, Legos or hide and seek, like the game falls apart. It doesn't matter how much compassion or curiosity or skill you show up with. And it strikes me that a lot of times we're not even all in agreement about what game we're playing or, or what story we're a part of. Um, 
And so if we're going to imagine a better state that we're working towards where this thing works better, right? Or we have more capacity to do X. Um, I like the idea of getting, of, you know, playfully all coming up with an agreed game that we're playing path. You know, what are the, what are the rules of this game? What do we want? What are we all going to get out of it? Um, and then, so maybe curiosity shows up. Well, curiosity, compassion. Okay. Well, I know what I want out of this, but what do these people want and need out of this? And what do these people want and need out of this? And then, okay. So how do we need to change the rules of this game so that all of these people's all, everybody gets to play and everybody gets something out of it. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's, you know, it's funny because so, so much of the book is about, you know, the thing that we ultimately have control of, which is ourselves and how we show up Yes. to any situation, right? And you'd like to think that the people solving these big problems are showing up with curiosity right, about the, all the people, all the stakeholders and people impacted. And, and you'd like to think that they are showing up with the resilience and to, to be so that they can be agile and that they can take a hit. And if something goes wrong, they can get up and keep going and they can be wrong sometimes. And that they're showing up with compassion. Dear God, wouldn't that be nice if everyone was showing up with compassion and the desire to do something if they see that people are suffering or the product is impacting people negatively? Um, but to your point, it's like, well, if everybody is showing up to this situation with all of these things, can we still get it done? And can we still get it done in a great way? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we're all playing the same game. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think that's a, it's a good point. If we're all playing the same game and we've got the the building blocks, that the, the building blocks, what you described there. Those are the building blocks I see actually. So it has to be the same game because that's probably the challenge you have when you have a team working together and individually look, they all look good, but together they just it's just chaos. It, it's probably Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, different I guess they, it's like, well, is winning the, and that's the thing you think about a lot with sports teams, right? And great sports teams like, well, is winning the game more important or is them getting to shine and be a superstar the most important? And there's definitely... Exactly. exactly. Winning, the, winning the game for everybody kind of has to, has to actually be the goal. And I don't know. I don't know what human beings, I'd be interested in your perspective. I mean, sometimes maybe we, we start there and then we, we get a little sidetracked. <laughs> so I, what, I, what I think, uh, I've been putting a bit of thought into this. I think different cultures have it differently. But the dominant culture of the world today, the individual comes first. Um, so we will identify, we identify ourselves as individuals first. Mm -hmm. so we own this. This is mine. This is my room, my toy. We almost train kids that way. This is my toy. This is my yeah. snack. Um, yeah. I, my sibling has a snack. I don't have a one. That's not right. Where is my snack? Because my sibling has a snack. We, we, we're raising kids that way. Mm -hmm. we, we go to work that way it's be first which has its utility yeah but there are challenges we face this might take a might there are challenges we face whereby as an focusing that that 
being that being the focus, the self being the focus doesn't work mm-hmm. for global challenges. It's the same with the team. If you're playing tennis, yourself mm-hmm. being the focus, perfect. That is absolutely what you want. If you're playing a different sport where it's a team sport, yourself being the focus is the wrong mindset. So you mm-hmm. almost need both whereby mm-hmm. you can change context depending on the kind of challenge you face. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a different kind of awareness of what am I doing? Is this me now? Or is this something that I need to really look to the left and to the right and work together to create and co-create effectively? Um, that's my take. And it's a question of how do you even begin to have these conversations where people can take it seriously? How do you create incentive structures that actually reinforce this kind of behavior? Mm-hmm. Um, those are not easy to come by, but I say it's the only way. I, would, I think the world's going to have to do this if we're going to address the bigger challenge we see coming down the path. Um, we're going to have to buck up and, and get good at this. Ways of working together and collaborating and sort of like unleashing each other's superpowers has to start. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. and I, I think what you're saying about being incentivized to do that it doesn't feel like there's enough of that right now. Yeah, indeed. It's almost like, so I'll use another analogy of, we look at Wikipedia, nobody's paid to create the content Wikipedia, but because people are self-motivated to put content out there, Mm -hmm. there is no commercial model. Nobody's gonna create an online encyclopedia and make money from it. It just Mm -hmm. can't happen because of Wikipedia, um, or you can't, you can't replicate that business. There are things you can do, but you can't replicate something like that. Um, so the, but we only see that in very small places. So I think we, there is, it's, the incentives are probably the foundation of the incentives are already there inside. We just need to expand it and bring it out further. So I think you're right about the incentives that we don't see enough of it, but it might be that it's already there. We just buried it and lost it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, and if you think about the people that we um, kind of, I mean, one of the things, if you think about the superhero analogy of the book, these superheroes like the Hulk and Superman and Spider-Man, they, they're usually doing something that seems impossible. They're like uh, individually taking something on um, using, you know, some set of <laughs> superhuman strengths um, to do something that feels that feels undoable, and then and often there's all this resistance and disbelief around it that this needs to happen or that it's really going to happen or whatever it may be, um, and then the but they set an example right by them doing what they do, and and what they're doing is for the collective good, and then it like kind of raises that awareness like oh there is a thing happening that needs to be addressed that we all, so I suppose that there might be some, something to say about, we could use some examples, <laughs> right? Some, some role models yeah. that do make, do big uh, risky things for the collective good. I, I don't know how many of the people that we, look up to and worship. This is one of the problems I think, right? Is that a lot of the people that we're looking up to as being very successful 
are not doing things for the greater good. They're successful in their own right. They've done things to raise themselves up. Exactly. Many of them are quite narcissistic. <laughs> and that's where we're looking. Um, so there's something about that. Um, I don't think a lot of those people are, it's not these particular superpowers maybe that have. So, and it's interesting where the conversation is going, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep it there. Um, so if I follow on that, what I, what I think is probably happening is, is, a, is a fitness thing, whereby perhaps the challenges of the time required people to focus on themselves and build themselves first and deal with mm -hmm. those challenges. Mm -hmm. um, because and because if those are those are the challenge and that's why they've been over time societies have just lifted them up lifted them up because yeah. hold on this is what we needed at the time mm -hmm. now when things change when the world changes and the challenges are different but people are still living the old paradigm it's very likely that we are looking at the success of the past the success that was relevant 50 years ago Mm -hmm. we've not yet created the foundation of the successes we need today mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and that's the challenge we see so it's a case of okay now a mindset a mindset shift needs to happen so that mm -hmm. we begin to focus on what is it that we need to embrace what is it that we need to celebrate it's different from what was celebrated in the past mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. we don't know what it is but we know it's different and we're trying to figure it out and mm -hmm. that's the this is this is my take on it right now this case and it's, it's one of the reasons why i actually do the podcast is a case of okay i want to talk to people i'll ask questions in a certain way we've got to figure this out because I, i've worked with enough smart people to know this is a working and it's not about smarts definitely not about smarts yeah yeah <laughs> there is something about imagine there is something about imagination here and like all in the playfulness chapter, there's a there's a story about you know kind of failure of imagination or even executives going around and getting around a table together and imagining okay well if they if they fire us <laughs> and bring in new executives yeah. you know what are they going to do and and I wonder if there's some some collective imagination um, in terms of what is what is the future that we're, that we want and that we're working towards and what might be required of us. And what is the worst case? Like, you know, what, and, and, and people are doing this. I mean, all you gotta do is pick up your phone. You can get 17 stories about, you know, worst case outcomes and of, of what's happening right now. But, <laughs> but in terms of, um, uh, in terms of figuring this out all together, because we're all so connected now, right? That's what the pandemic taught us. Like, oh boy, <laughs> we're all, we're definitely yeah. all in this together, which I yeah. think is what you're saying, right? Oh, we've really, we've learned that we actually have to do things in some different ways because this, this is how it actually is. Um, and there, and so, yeah, so all maybe like, we all kind of need to be looking in the same direction. <laughs> Yeah, so indeed, um, I think we are just kind of time. This conversation indeed. got very big. You grapple with big things. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the world is changing and the, there is no, when the world changes, the way I see the world changing, there is no, you can't pigeonhole things. If you're going to deal with it, you're going to have to be 
open-minded and ready to speak about any topic really um mm. without and approaching it like we've approached it sensibly you know not loosely but sensibly it can be a big topic approach it from somewhere and just keep pulling the thread see where it goes um, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is which is what we which is what we've done um this has been a brilliant conversation um it would be good to know so for the benefit of the audience and uh, for the audience so they know a little bit about you if you want to share a little bit more about yourself and how people can can contact you that would be that'll be that'll be really good and any final words as well yeah, well, I, you know, I, I guess that in terms of the conversation we were just having, if, if to take it back to the, you know, one thing we talk a lot about in, in, in facilitating leadership coaching and facilitating is um, one thing you certainly always have control over is, is how you show up to any situation. There's so much that's not in our control and there's so many big complicated problems and I so applaud you for, you know, really making us look at those. Um, and then it's a part of resilience. What, what defines resilience is recognizing you know, what you're in control of um, and, and really owning that and, and how we show up to any given situation um, is something that we can control. And, and that's where I think these superpowers can really, really help us. Um, I can show up, I can show up with curiosity and compassion and authenticity, right? And 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 bring maybe bring some playfulness and lightheartedness to this. So hopefully that um at a minimum, we can all be doing more of that. And um the you know, the company uh, JM Reed Group is uh the www.jmreedgroup.com. Um, if anybody's sort of looking looking wants to see the training and facilitation work that we do um, and that some of this content was, was built on. And then um, my, uh, if, if somebody wanted to reach me to, to talk about coaching or anything, that would be uh, karina.chase at gmail.com or chaseperformancestrategies.com, yeah. Perfect, I think what I'll do is I'll put the, your, the links in the description. So if people are watching this either on YouTube or on the podcasts, on the, Tends to be called show notes, but just description section. You 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 find the you find the links you find the links there. Um, this has been very very interesting, very enlightening conversation. Uh, thanks thank for you for having generous. me. It was really thank indeed. you. It was fun to talk to <laughs> You're you. You're welcome. <laughs> indeed, I appreciate indeed. it. Cool. Thank you very much. We might have to bring you back because this has been a very good conversation. Anytime, <laughs> I'll sit and chat with you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a good night. Would you like to learn more about showing up at your very best? Would you like to join in the conversation about showing up at your very best? Connect with a community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. When you visit our site, click join to join the community. Check out the show notes for details on how you can contact Karina. Also, please don't forget to like, comment, review and subscribe. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great week and see you next time.